0: Father is what you'd call today a hoarder, and um, you'd be walking around in the basement of the fourplex, and there'd be a door, and I was a kid, I, I grew up there, so I, uh, I wonder what's behind the door, and I'd open the door, like, I'd get the keys, they'd give me the keys, go ahead, look around, get the keys, did I ever tell you, it, it was filled, it was always, like there, and there's more than one, there'd be one there, one there, back there, what's behind there, I open it up, it's full, boxes floor to ceiling, sometimes old clothes, like neat, like tight, packed tight, old clothes, I'd pull out one of the (laughs) boxes. You're not going to believe this. This is really funny. I'd pull out one of the boxes. It's not uh, tax papers or something like that. All right? It's going to, you open it with uh, clothes with twine, brand new looking box, open it up, tissue paper, fold it over, open up the tissue paper, and Poker chips thing of poker chips um, thing of pencils the pencils weren't always new they're just pencils wrapped tight with lots of rubber bands with this whole gig um, Ceramic uh, lights maybe like a little dog with a little light and then maybe some rolls of change maybe a whole bunch of rolls of quarters nothing special just. You could pick up any one of those boxes. That's what it would be like. My father was the opposite, by the way. He, When he inherited it, cleaned it out. You wouldn't believe how many. Uh... Anyhow, they also got um, $14,000 of change. They had to find it all. Like you'd go, into, you'd go into one of his closets. I just remember this. Here's an example. Um, went into one of his closets. That's not including his coin collection, because he had a coin collection with gold coins and stamps and expensive. He was a bus driver. But he never went anywhere. Anyhow, so um, I just remember, um, I'm going on a bit, but I just remember one box in, the, in Granny's closet. And um, Grandpa had put a bunch of rubber boots, he took those off. And the bottom um, little portion of the box was partitioned with cardboard strips into a grid. And in each little grid was uh, a roll of coins, Again, he liked, to take, he liked to get a whole bunch of coins from the bank and then just sort through them for the American ones or the ones that might be silver. Silver dollars. There's such a thing as half dollars in Canada. You might not know this. It's legal tender. Uh, thousands and half dollars, right? Brand new. Okay, all right. The reason I say all that is sometimes I wake up in the morning and I've been to their fourplex again. But it's not in a little busy street in Winnipeg, it's, it's on a hill. It would be like kind of looking out at that building. You know, it, there wouldn't be much in the way. It would be at, at sunrise, and there would be those poplar trees. I think poplar trees are so pretty, by the way. And then everything's calm, and I'm looking at their house. And often, if I've been there in my dream, it's much, much larger than it really was. A maze of rooms and, and fun places to explore. And I just feel awesome. And I just feel at peace. And I realize after a while, oh, that's heaven. I'm, I'm picturing heaven in my dream. In my, And I, I understand that eternal heaven is not a mid-century Winnipeg fourplex. All right? <laughs> it's, it's more that's the impression of it. I, I think because my grandparents loved me so well, it made me feel I could trust people. There's something about that. If we're raised well... We feel the world is not a horrible place, um, and if we aren't, then we have to kind of get over that later on in life. But I think because I could trust people, I could trust that God would look after me. That God ultimately had a plan for me. So when I tell the the students about God's ultimate plan for their lives, I can do that with conviction. And that's where I'm going to head today: is can we trust God with our lives? I think part of that is seeing what his ultimate plan is for us and for creation. And so that's where we pick things up in Romans 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 8. Romans 8 talks about how God's plan, God's, this coming state is part of God's plan for the world. Verse 18 says, What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will re- reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth. Right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including new bodies He has promised us. Here, heaven is spoken of in terms of something that God is doing as part of a plan of His. Um, sometimes I I think of heaven as the end part of the circle of God's plan for the world. So if you think of the world starting, Adam and Eve were physical beings who were body, soul, spirit, and they walked around and they did stuff and they ate things, and then they sinned and they are thrown out of the garden, as well as all of us were kind of infected with something that we call uh, the fallen state or the flesh or the fallen nature. But that's all going to be changed. Of course, changed at the top of the circle with Jesus Christ coming. And he earned forgiveness for our sins, but also he made the path back to that garden possible. And in a way, eternal heaven will be this garden again. Um, I, I usually do this in a couple of sermons, but today you just have uh, have me today. So I'll just say this, that... Um, Heaven is a physical place. By the way, you will not be floating in the clouds with a halo and a harp. I, much as I like harps, and there is a reference to harps in in heaven, but I won't get into that now. You'll once again be resurrected, as it says. We'll have new bodies, just like this. You'll walk around, and I always joke with the students that, uh, of course, Chance here will um, look looks much, much better. He'll be taller, maybe, and, and you know, kind of more muscular with his new body, and then. I, of course, will be exactly like I'm now, because this is as good as I get. (laughs) Never gets old. I said that 100. I still think that's really funny. Yeah, all right. Um, So that leads us up to Revelation 21. So we'll just take a quick look at the largest section on heaven, in Revelation is in the end of Revelation. Revelation 21, verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. No more pain or sorrow. I don't know what your thing is right now, but you probably have some kind of a thing. Uh, for a lot of the students, it's social anxiety, and we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later. But... Um, your thing might be some kind of debilitating illness or pain that you've gone through. It could be mental or physical, and that's just your thing. And it's always kind of back there in the back of your mind. Well, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Just as hell is a place particularly given to pain, heaven is a place particularly absent from it. We've speculated a lot about whether this means you won't... Feel, like if you pricked your finger on a pin, would you feel the pain? And would that be okay? It just wouldn't be like real pain, you know? Um, yeah, like having, having some terrible and feeling a lot of pain. And so we've thought about that a lot. Um, we've also wondered if, if our personalities are maintained in heaven. If I'm just wiped, if I'm rebooted, if you wish. I had my Samsung rebooted the other day when I bought a new one. A brand new phone in a way. But I think our personalities are maintained there. Um, Matthew 8, 11 says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I, I don't doubt that we will be affected by having our sin natures removed. The fallen parts of us will be removed. That would no doubt affect you. But you won't be rebooted. You'll still be you. If you're Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you continue to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob there. It's always interesting to think of what it would be like without a sin nature. I think think you on your best day, something like that, where sin just doesn't come into your mind. No effort is made to say that these are mere shells of those men, that this isn't really Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They really are people. You really are yourself in that place. By the way, heaven is not literally timeless. You will talk you will eat things, you'll walk around. It's like this, but with all the pain and sorrow and um, poor decisions you make <laughs> so forth. <laughs> What's the key part of heaven? Well, we're given really the key part in verse 3. It's cool that there's, there could well be... Golf courses and happy hunting grounds and stuff like this. But the main part of it is with us in verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. Only one announcement is made from the throne. In that way, heaven is about God. I think that's... Do you know when, when uh, again, when you're worried about something or you have something on your mind and things aren't working out for you and then you maybe go to someone's birthday or you go to a great church service and it kind of lifts you out of yourself. It's not as though your pain is gone. It's as though you're no longer... You've, you've found something greater for the moment to look at. And you're filled with a kind of feeling about that thing. The Bible says the primary element of heaven, the cool part of heaven, is the presence of God. All of us have a sense of absence in us. Um, I'm in Enneagram 4, if you ever read uh, stuff on the Enneagram, which means uh, I'm a little emotional. It's good for preaching sermons. But sometimes you look into the abyss. Yes, the darkness. You know, (laughs) Sadness, existential angst, the philosophers call it. I sense that there's something more and that I'm missing something. That I, I, when I'm not being lifted out of myself, I can sometimes go to that place. And Revelation says heaven is the dwelling of God with us. That God will be there with us that there will be a sense of fulfillment, not because we've accomplished a lot, but because we're in the presence of God and we were made for that. I think all of us sense we're made for something, don't we? I mean, sometimes in our in our jobs, we feel a sense of purpose or in, in having children, maybe, we feel a sense of purpose, but there we will have fulfilled our true purpose. And in that way, heaven is perfectly about God. You know, that. The concise Encyclopedia Britannica uh, online said, Heaven is the abode of the righteous dead. (laughs) Which I thought was a really terrible, narrow description of heaven. And again, it leaves out the most important person, which is God. And I know that God is everywhere present. There's no place you can go where God isn't. But somehow he is especially present there. That God is extravagantly present. He is fully present. The Bible says no one has ever seen God, despite the passages where they saw some version that God has made them, allowed them to see. No one has ever really seen God, but we will see God there in His glory. In that way, heaven is again immediately different than all the paradises spoken of in mythology about the happy hunting ground, as I said. I know that life is going to be lived fully and joyfully, but it's primarily about our closeness to God. Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, I've hinted at this then. If I'm I'm there with God, how will I feel? Now, there's not a big passage about how everybody feels in heaven. It's not like, hey, dude, this is what's going to happen. It's more that we get quotes from people as they are there in the presence of God. I think all of us, sometimes in prayer or maybe in worship this morning or sometimes when you're on a, a peak you know, out in, in the wilderness, we may feel God's presence. But there we will perfectly be in God's presence. And then what does that feel like? And I think the closest I can get to explaining that to you is, is just showing you a couple of the quotes of what people say or do when they're there. In the presence of God. So here in um, Revelation 7, we have one of those situations in verses 9 to 12. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Did you notice all the ands? there. Sometimes if you talk to a little kid, when they're really excited, they don't really string sentences together quite right, <laughs> and they use and a lot. Uh, I went to grandma's place, and she gave me cake, and it was so fun, and grandma talked to me for an hour, and, and, and then I played with this truck, and yeah, <laughs> that's how we. That's just how we talk, and we're excited, and the angels were talking. With it. it seems like a very non-angelic thing to do. You think angels are dignified creatures of some kind. But this, this sort of string of, of, of adjectives rolls out of them at several other places, and it's quite striking. Here they are in the presence of God, blessing and glory and wisdom and power and honor to be to our God forever and ever. And that's just how they felt. I don't think there was a script in front of them. Blessing and glo- uh, glory and honor and some other. Like, I think that's just how those guys felt in the presence of God. You'd say to me, how am I going to feel there, Jason? I think you're going to feel the same way. I think it's just like taking a deep breath, and then you're out of yourself now. and, and, And your troubles are behind you. And as we're in the very presence of God in the throne room, this is what comes out of us. You know, I had wondered how it would all work, because heaven isn't just the throne room. Of course, it's a massive city, and the whole earth is transformed. By the way, the physical planet is transformed, being clean again, and my tomato plants will grow. Will there be snow, the students always ask, and I said yes, because uh, skiing is awesome. I don't know. Really, probably. I'm not super-duper sure. But every once in a while, you're going to show up at that throne room. That's it. There's a the throne, and the angels, and like the fancy place. You're going to be there at least once in a while, and I've wondered how I feel. Again, coming back to a, a bit of social anxiety when you're young, or when you're an Enneagram Four, or maybe it's you. You feel like I'm going to enter a place of strangers. It's going to be a strange place, and I, I like inside of myself, I kind of go like this a little bit. I wonder if I'm going to fit in, or if I'm going to, if it's me, I'm probably going to say something rude or. Um, weird, and it's going to make people shake their heads. And I, I you know, I, I worry a little bit about that. I imagine, and I don't know this. This isn't in the scriptures, but I imagine sooner or later, maybe near the beginning of our time, we would be led up to the throne room, and this is going to be a massive place. And they're singing there. And again, I worry that I won't know the lyrics, or I'll feel weird. But I think as I'm coming up to that place, the song won't be some strange song of foreigners or, or complicated that I, you know, I'm not very good at music. Maybe I wouldn't know it. But that I would know the song. And in fact, as I'm coming up, I would be singing it. Steve Bell wrote a song called Here by the Water. Part of the lyrics are, saw a field of clover, moon shining over the valley, joining the song of the river, to the great giver of the great good. As it unfolds me, somehow it holds me together. I realize I've been singing. Still it comes ringing clearer than clear. I don't know how it works, whether there's a bunch of songs or just an expression of praise, but that will be a place where I finally belong. And I'm understood, and my sins are forgiven. A, a place of contentedness and belonging. I think there's no place like that here, except in certain times when we are very close to God. Either For me, it's, it's after a long period of quiet and maybe some fasting and prayer. There's not a lot of quiet in our house today, I'll tell you that. Our, Austin's little brother has been kind of noisy for the last few days. But when I get into those spaces of of meditation and silence, I sometimes sense God's presence. And I think for a lot of us, it happens in nature as well. Again, I'm, I've never been much of a camper, but I, I know a number of you really are. So imagine you're at a lake at dawn, and nobody else is up yet. And the sun, sunrise is just coming up. And it's summertime, but it's not hot yet. Things are calm. There's not a lot of wind. And you're just looking out over the water. I think sometimes when we do that, um, we're feeling good. We're feeling content. And somehow in those moments, there's, it's more than just a pretty picture, isn't it? It's a sense of promise. It's a sense that there is more. You, you again kind of come out of yourself. and You sense in those times that perhaps there is more than just what we are seeing now and this is only to be fulfilled in the future and that no one has to tell you that, but that is something that you conclude as you stand there. Maybe despite all the highs and lows of our lives, we are just starting to see the edges of what God has for us. The song says, there is a land that is fairer than the day. I have a picture of my grandparents on my shelf at home. They're smiling. Um, They're being driven somewhere. They're all dressed up. They're being driven somewhere nice. And whoever it is who's taking the picture, I can tell they liked. And every time I look at it, I think of how much they've helped me. They paid for most of my education surprisingly, I have a lot of education <laughs> that might not be reflected. You might not have a, or been aware of that. <laughs> but I, I just think of the love they had for me. They had an acceptance of me and a kindness. And I think they helped me believe that God could be trusted, that ultimately God's plan for me was good. Um, when I talk about who we are to the students, we talk about how we are a body and an immaterial part. A soul spirit. And I can't see that part in me or in you. You all are just sitting there so politely right now. But inside your soul, I believe, has a posture. If I could see it, what would your soul's posture be in regards to God? Well, I think the core element of ourselves is control of ourselves. And Jesus calls us to give that control to him, that he would be called our Lord. We accept Christ as our Lord. And our soul has that control in our hand. And right now, I can't see it in you, but some of you are probably grasping that control. Maybe you don't trust God. Maybe you don't feel God can be trusted with control of your life. That maybe you've said the right words being in church, but really... The practical day-to-day is Jesus isn't practically your Lord. I don't know why that is for you, but I think we can open our hand and give that to God, give the lordship of our life to God. And that's what he calls us to do, is that we can trust him, that he knows us, and that he is the fulfillment that we are looking for. Sometimes we try to find that fulfillment in other things. We, th- we think we're more clever than God is. That God, God's plan for me isn't really a good idea. Or I just feel scared. I just feel scared to give that control to anyone. That's just a, an emotional thing that I have going on inside. Like there's many reasons why we take back control of our lives. Well, I would invite you today to trust God with your lordship, with the control of your life a little bit more today. In fact, the end of Revelation calls us to do that. The very end of Revelation gives a bit of a a benediction. Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him, him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free will of the water of life. I think that's totally true. I think being aware of your need is really keen. I think if we think everything's cool, we can often be quite far from God. But when we sense that things aren't going well, when we need help, that is a good time for us to start looking inside and saying, What is the posture of my soul? If I could see it and picture it as a human body, what am I doing with my control? Am I like this? Am I like this? Am I doing this to God? Sometimes, as a pastor, I'd find people would be mystified that they weren't close to God. And I found out after a while that they were doing this to God. Yeah, you know, I can't figure out why God is so far away. God, why are you so far away? Weird. Strange. <laughs> right? Well, you, can't, you can't both push God away and have him close to you, right? You, you, you have to be welcoming him into our lives. Um. That's what I'm asking today. Are we still gripping tightly to that control or not? Uh, Why don't I just close in prayer and wrap up today. Father, we thank you that ultimately you have a plan for us and for the whole world. And that the plan revolves around you, but not just you. That we are swept up in your amazing plan. And that we will at that time forget ourselves and stop... I don't know, trying to build ourselves up and trying to defend ourselves or try to recover from the pains of this world, that there is a place where we are recovered and built up and no longer have to be so, I don't know, defensive and, and, and worried about ourselves or we can release to you fully. And Lord, I pray today, as all of us are here, just trying to manage our life or trying to, wherever we are in life, God, trying to get to that next place, we pray that you'd give us grace to release the Lordship to you, to have you as our leader and forgiver. And I pray God you would give us your Holy Spirit to bring us further down that path this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Jason. I'm just invite you to stand with us as we sing this last song.
2: The Lamb who was slain Holy, holy is He Sing the new song To Him who sits song Heaven's mercy seat Worthy is the Lamb He is the Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him that sits on Heaven's mercy, see. Glory and power be to you, the only wise King. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings You are my everything And I will adore you Holy, holy, holy Is our Lord God Almighty Who was and is and is to come.
1: With all
2: creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything and I will adore you.
1: Father, I pray that you will give us those little glimpses of heaven in our walk on the earth as we walk towards you and walk in your love and your life. Again, help us, Lord, to surrender, to trust you, to get to know you more as we read your scriptures. I pray that you'll open up our hearts and soften them to to your love, take away our pride, our desire to control and rule our own lives and the lives of those around us. even. Humble us, O oh God. We do thank you for your mercy and your grace as you walk with us. Just pray for health and strength for all of us, Lord, that you go before us as we leave this place today. We know that you're with us always. And again, as we leave, help us to be that fragrance of your love and your grace to those around us in a dying and suffering world. And let us be able to speak hope you would be blessed and you'd be magnified and honored you are worthy of praise in jesus name amen god bless you as you go we will see you next time
2: So to-